Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the book of Genesis and the Gospel of Luke. In the course of the night, Jacob arose, took the entire caravan, and crossed the ford of the Yabbok River. After Jacob had crossed with all his possessions, he returned to the camp, and he was completely alone. And there, someone wrestled with Jacob until the first light of dawn. Seeing that Jacob could not be overpowered, the other struck Jacob at the socket of the hip, and the hip was dislocated as they wrestled. When Jacob's contender said, let me go, for the day is breaking, Jacob answered, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The other asked Jacob. He answered, and the other said, your name will no longer be Jacob, or heel grabber, but Israel, God wrestler, because you have wrestled with both God and mortals, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob said, now tell me your name, I beg you. The other said, why do you ask my name? And bless Jacob there. Jacob named the place Punel, face of God, because I have seen God's face, to, I have seen God face to face, yet my life was spared. At sunrise, Jacob left Punel, limping along from his injured hip. That is why, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sciatic muscle that is on an animal's hip socket, because Jacob's hip socket was struck at the sciatic muscle. From Luke. Jesus, Jesus told the disciples a parable on the necessity of praying always and not losing heart. Once, there was a judge in a certain city who feared no one, not even God. A woman in that city who had been widowed kept coming to the judge and saying, Give me legal protection from my opponents. For a time, the judge refused. But finally, the judge thought, I care little for God or people, but this woman won't leave me alone. I'd better give her the protection she seeks, or she'll keep coming and wear me out. Jesus said, listen to what this corrupt judge is saying. Won't God then do justice to the chosen who call out day and night? Will God delay long over them? I tell you, God will give them swift justice. But when the promised one comes, will faith be found anywhere on earth? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Tomash. Gave you a big one there. <clears throat> Let's pray together. God of the dispossessed, would you teach us to hunger for justice? Even when the weak are shut out and the powerful turn in their beds. In the heat of our own anger, in the bitterness of our own complaints, give us the courage to stand ground, to wrestle, to protest, the, persist the persistence to keep praying, keep showing up, and the heart to love and to seek reconciliation over vengeance. Jesus, teach us to pray. In your name we pray. Amen. We've been talking about these images of prayer, and I don't know what image you hold for prayer, or what it is like to put yourself, your body, your words into a posture of prayer. But one of the ones that um, we kind of come across of one of the challenges or the hurdles in our prayer is the question of like, is God even interested? 
You know, I've been saying these same prayers or I've been asking for these same things for my family, for my life, for others. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder if I'm just saying them out loud or if there's a God who even hears or interested. Or maybe you take more of a humble response. And the question is, why would God care about my needs? I'm doing well. I'm somewhat comfortable. There are so many other things in the world. If I just kind of keep the line quiet, then God may be able to listen to some of the other voices. Is God even interested? Becomes a question mark in the middle of our prayers. I know I've had those moments in my own life, like working through or praying for something in our world or in my own life. And as I'm like halfway through the prayer, I just kind of stop and sit in silence and go, I just kind of wonder where this is going. Who's listening? If they care. I know that's a hard way to start, but I think you're in a good company because this is a question that we see kind of throughout scripture. And we've seen through the faith of the church. This, this wrestling with this God, this wrestling of like, God, do you hear me? Will you bend your ear towards us? The people cry out again and again. Well, we need these images, these renewed images, reimagined images of prayer that kind of help us get beyond some of these blocks, some of these things that have stopped us from doing these courageous prayers. And our passage today, I believe, gives us two kind of unique images or two people who give us one image of what prayer could look like. More than just kind of sitting in quietness, which is a beautiful prayer, or in silence like we talked about last week. More than just putting together words of, of reverence, these kind of 50 cent beautiful words that are crafted and we, we share in front of God and for others. More than just, just these ways in which we kind of fall into the same patterns and same languages of prayer, our scripture gives us something different. It gives us a prayer that is a little more embodied. It gives us a prayer that, in my opinion, is a little bit more honest. And it gives us some prayer and some language that helps us deal with the things we encounter in our world again and again and again. It is the prayer of wrestling. The prayer of struggle. The prayer that often happens in the darkness of our own life and our own situations. The prayer of persistence. We start first with Jacob. In this kind of what has been known as kind of a famous passage because this is the moment in which the people of God get named. They get named as Israel. Well, Jacob here, his name doesn't start as that. Jacob's name, as we read in the passage, means heel grabber, or often maybe also said as deceiver of, of one who stole a blessing from his brother Esau. And so he steals this blessing. He kind of comes second, but, but he comes on the heel of his brother. And like we see in the beginning of a lot of the passages in Genesis, there, there's this favor, there's this winning out of the younger brother, which is an upside down world in the way it's supposed to be. And so Jacob had stole the blessing, straight up stole the blessing from his brother, which meant so much in this time, in this culture. And then they split ways. And they both end up living a pretty full and prosperous life. But like in our own story, those stories, those things that shaped us, those moments in our lives, those moments of decease, they have a way of kind of 
catching up with us again. We run into them again. Jacob is traveling um, with his family, with his herd, with all of this stuff, with all this prosperity. He's doing well. And he knows that the next day he's about ready to run into his brother to see his brother face to face. It seems that he knows that there's a really good chance that his brother may just end his life. Or at least it's not going to be pretty. He sends over his family and his flock and others across the river first. Maybe because it's like, you, maybe you go and encounter first and I'll come second. And we'll see if he can forgive me by that time. But then this moment happens. And I wonder if you can reflect back in your story when maybe some of these moments have happened in your own life. He sits in the darkness. He sits alone. He sits with his own story. And he begins to wrestle. Jacob encounters this man or God. It's an amazing way in which the Hebrew use the Hebrew language works here because it says, okay, this is a man. This is a a person in which Jacob is wrestling with. And then the very next moment it says, and this is, this is God that Jacob's wrestling with. And it's like, okay, it's God. And it's like, no, this is a man that Jacob's wrestling with. And then the next one, it says, no, this is God that Jacob's wrestling with. So we don't actually get an image of whether this is a man or a God. One thing we know is it's not an angel, which usually we see in paintings and things, but there, there is this mystery of whether Jacob is who this person is. Is it God and is it man? I love this image of in our own life when we are wrestling in the darkness and alone. Are we wrestling with God? Are we wrestling with others? Are we wrestling with our own egos and our own story and our own life? And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference of who we're wrestling with when or who started the match. See, I believe that our wrestling with others in relationships in our conflicts, in our struggles, our wrestling with others is a reflection and is a way into our wrestling with God. But we often divide them and we say God is the spiritual things and our relationships are the reality things where this passage says maybe the two are one and we're wrestling with both in a way. So Jacob begins to wrestle and then becomes renamed. The man, God says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven for God and you have wrestled with God and with humans and have prevailed. The people of God, Jacob gets renamed from heel graver deceiver to God wrestler. This is the very name. That is given to a people who will journey through God through the wilderness to its high points back down to um, being exiled. And the name they will carry from the very beginning of their origin is God wrestler. One who wrestles with God and with man, with humans. Names mean a lot. And if the word is supposed to mean like... Your name will be those who are very blessed and everything will work out if you just have enough faith. That would have meant something, but that's not the name the people were given. The name wasn't given, oh, the one who will avoid all struggle and all conflict and all suffering. That is the name I give to you. No, the name is given to a people. It is given to us as an inheritance of you will be a people who wrestle. 
This will be what prayer looks like. This is what faith will look like. This was what commitment will look like. Will be a wrestling with God and with others. I want you to think back to the last time that you maybe wrestled. Maybe actually really physically, if you can remember that. We live in a society that we're so disembodied that we kind of don't wrestle. We kind of like just each have our own little bubble in our distance. So maybe it's not that. Maybe what's the last time you kind of relationally wrestled? You struggled. There was a conflict. There was a going back and forth in a relationship. This wrestling with others. This wrestling um, in our relationships. What's the last time maybe you wrestled with God? Asking the question why or I don't get it. Or you wrestled with an institution. Like what is it meaning? Why does it do this? What has it done to me? If you have wrestled in your life, then you, according to God, are living as the people of God. We are called to be a people who wrestle. And if we try to avoid it, it has a way of catching up to us in the middle of the beauty of the darkness. It has a way of showing up with history in tow to remind us that we don't just skate through this life, that we can't just avoid and numb our way through it. But we are called to be a people who faithfully wrestle. In my family, one of the traditions between me and the two kids is every once in a while when, it, when it's like, it just is kind of getting a little chaotic or everyone's like just not regulated. At one point I was like, I don't know what to do anymore because like yelling and sending them to the room isn't working anymore. Like it just doesn't work. And so, um, so I was like, okay, we are going to wrestle. And I took off my shirt and they all took off their shirt and the three of us just started rolling on the ground and um, wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. My son, I could like pin and hold back. My daughter, I could, she just dominated me. Um, she was fierce and we're like wrestling and wrestling. And I like come up scars and there's like redness on my body and I come up and we're all like, <sighs> and then everyone went to like reading a book or doing art or doing something very calm. My friend's. It's in our body, right? Like we need to move. Whether, whether it's conflict, whether it's this aggression, or maybe it's just moving our body or wrestling. It doesn't have to be this, this aggressive thing. It needs to be in something in which our whole self is engaged. And when we engage our whole self, there's something that begins to calm. There's something that begins to be expressed that we have been trying to hold back for so long. God calls us in prayer to bring our whole selves, not just your words, especially not just your holy words, to bring it all and to show up with it. Your pain, your tears, your fears, your joys, to deeply laugh with God, to wrestle with God, with the questions. And he also calls us not to just do it with God, but to do it in relationship with others. To not just hold back some of the things maybe we're thinking, but to, to honestly share with people how our relationships are affecting each other. So Jacob gives us this image of faithful prayer. It looks like those who wrestle with each other, with our own story, our own past, and with a God. And to bring ourselves fully to that place. The second image is one that comes from the parable of Jesus of this widow. Now, widows are often thought as vulnerable, weak. 
The widow is set along, the poor, the orphan, the refugee, and the lame. And throughout scripture, they are called again and again to be protected and cared for. And so Jesus presents this image of someone often who is marginalized from society and its rules and its ways. And saying someone who is often seen as weak and vulnerable. And Jesus kind of raises her up. At the same time throughout scripture, we see other images of the widow, such as Tamar or Ruth or Naomi or Anna, are models actually not of weakness and vulnerability, but in the scripture, they are models of strength, of grit, and resourcefulness. And so I wonder if Jesus is pulling from these stories, from, from this family history, and kind of putting it on this woman. In this parable, Jesus is acknowledging That there is a kingdom of God. It's showing up. He's preaching as to his disciples as he's walking to Jerusalem. He says, don't, don't worry. Know that the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. In the face of the injustice, I swear to you, my beloved, the kingdom of God is coming. And he is urging his disciples to remain active, to remain faithful and courageous in the meantime. No matter how long it takes, he says, keep calling on God for justice. Keep demanding it like a tireless, persistent widow. Keep trusting that in the end, justice will be done. This image of the widow is one in which she keeps showing up to the injustice in her own life. Probably seeking vengeance on someone, but she keeps showing up to this judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about other people, and doesn't really care about anything that it's over the power of. She keeps showing up to this judge and being persistent. In the, in the Greek, the idea is that she is showing up to give a black eye to that one that is in power. I mean, she's not like weekly, like, hey, if you, if, you, if you have some time, could you maybe look at my case? I think she is the first one in the door every morning that it opens up to the people. What if faithful prayer for us looked more like being bold with our words, with our protests, with our actions, than just being pious? For too long, I think we have been taught to be pious, to be... To be to be weak in some ways with our prayer, but in this widow we see someone who is deeply bold. Not as a meekly bow your head sort of thing, but rather as a planting your feet on the ground and taking a stand. This is a prayer of pers- persistence, a prayer of lamentation. It is a prayer of wrestling with a God that is good. It is a refusal to look away from the struggles, the pain, the doubts, and the injustice of our world. But to enter into the holy darkness of our life and world, into the cloud of the unknown and uncertainty, where the presence of God has promised to be and to take a stand for one's own dignity and one's own life. You see, in Jesus' day, the posture of prayer was one of usually standing, arms out, palms up, and eyes open to the world, and using a clear voice. But I think our posture we've inherited and we've gone to accept is more of a crouch down, get as small as you possibly can, and pray. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but they're communicating different things. The prayer posture I think we're often told to pray from is one that looks like, like a dog that's been abused and it's just kind of backing up and it's like, hey, if, if you're interested or, or if you care, would, would you hear my prayer? 
Jesus doesn't give us that posture. The widow doesn't give us that posture. It is one of challenge. Everyone is standing in their own body, in their own space, and praying out honestly. Now, I don't think we're actually supposed to see the judge, this evil judge, as an example of God. Sometimes we take the parables and we're like, okay, God is like this judge, but just a little bit better. I think the image is like, no, we're not even supposed to, God is nothing like that judge. That is not who we are supposed to seek out. That's not who we're praying to. Why do you hold this image of God in that way? Jesus is challenging. The problem is these types of courageous prayers of showing up again and again is that we we're called to show up to him when the obstacles seem insurmountable. My friends, the news feed will never stop. The stories of injustice will keep on rolling. The great suffering of broken bodies will roll in like the tide. Our call from Christ in this is to be a people who stand in the midst of all of that and to wrestle. To wrestle with the powers, to wrestle with God, to wrestle with our own involvement in it all. The tenacious widow's faith can seem daunting, exhausting, and just foolish. But there she is, determined as ever, heading back to the courthouse, following in the footsteps of Tamara, Ruth, Naomi, those who have already gone before her and inviting us as well. Even the most corrupt powers that be, Jesus insists, tremble when they hear the widows are coming by. In this way, when they hear the, the widow is coming by, the kingdom of God is near. And in the end, she believes God's justice shall not be denied. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I, um, it's very different than this one, but I was preaching and teaching on this passage last week at one of our partner churches at Pine Street Church. And I went up to go preach and I realized, oh, I didn't do this right. At Pine Street Church, a majority of the people are probably 75 or 80 and above. And I show up and say, get involved in justice to stand up for something. And they're kind of like, yeah, I've been doing it my whole life, Will. And I thought, oh, I was preaching to all souls in some ways. I left and I was like, oh, man, know your audience before you talk to them. On a second thought though they were like oh thank you pastor that was a really sweet sermon is what one guy said Uh, which is like language for like yeah we've heard that one before um but i thought man it made me realize towards the end of my story what do i want to be known for my pious words do i want to be known for my clean religion Or do I want to be known for a courageous, messy wrestling with God and the powers of our world? I looked at them with tears in my eyes because I thought, for so many of these people, there has been a faithfulness of showing up again and again and again. At All Souls, sometimes I say, when when, when have you come? Oh, yeah, I showed up. It's my first time back, first time I've been in church in a long time. For then, I met a lady. She's like, yeah, I've been coming here for 65 years. I was like, oh, okay, that seems pretty persistent. It's not about going to church, but it's about showing up with body, mind, heart, and soul to the places in our life when often it feels hard to show up. Just last weekend, in great pride, All Souls hosted an anti-racism training. 
to show up and to see our community and others from our city show up to this place and begin to wrestle with the story of racism in our world and in our own story. To hear others. To hear those who have persistently been raising their voices but have gone unheard for so long felt like prayer. Because it is a prayer. When we wrestle with God, when we wrestle with the darkness and the, un, the unreconciliation in our own soul, when we wrestle with others, we are doing the work of prayer. God's realm of justice and love will indeed arrive in the end, Christ promised. And our faith shall not be in vain, so take heart. Follow the widow's lead, praying without ceasing, lamenting when necessary, insisting on justice and trusting that it's on its way. But before I close, I want to be a little bit honest about one other thing that's in this passage. I want to take everything I just said and kind of throw it under the bus and ruin it real quick because that's what Jesus does with the parable. He gives us this beautiful image of rising up and being persistent of praying until we don't give up. And then at the very end of the passage, he says, I tell you, God will grant, grant justice to them. And yet, when the son of humanity comes, will God find faith on earth? Will God find faith on earth? What Jesus is seeking, what the kingdom demands is an image of God that is so much more than a heartless, indifferent judge Our judicial system. I think that Jesus is even looking for more than a vengeful widow twisting the arm of power. Does that be just so that maybe she can get revenge on someone who has hurt her? Jesus is looking for more than just a stubborn, deceiving brother who who is just wanting to continue to be blessed. I think Jesus wants more than just justice. He wants actually transformation of it all. A kingdom reality beyond just persistence and stubborn holding our ground in our point of view. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who shared, but the end, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of a beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. So when Jesus says, will I find faith on earth? I think he's alluding to, if we're just going to find just fairness, that's, that's not what we're seeking for. We're seeking for those who are our enemies to become friends. To wrestle at such a level that there is a redemptive work in the midst of it all. This passage calls us to look for deeper ways of working for justice than just making sure our voice is heard. It calls for us to provide effective spaces of conversation for dialogue. For hearing each other and the stories of others seeking understanding from each other. It calls us to engage those we have maybe been running from and are away from our whole life. It calls us to engage those stories within us that we have been running from and running from and running from to show up to them and wrestle with them in a loving way. Engaging our enemies and our injustice with a transformational love. 
If this passage is just about a widow getting justice, then the author would not be questioning if the Son of Man will find faith on earth. Why give justice to the chosen one if they may lose their faith? This passage is asking us to consider the time is right to bring people together. Not so justice can be served, but so that new understanding can be gained and justice served. And through this understanding comes a writing of relationship, a writing of power dynamics, a writing of injustice, a transformation of not only a ruling, but the entire system, entire relationships begin to be transformed. This calls for a different type of persistence, a different type of prayer, a persistence that looks to grace, reconciliation, a loving our enemies. A prayer that is, is not a prayer that is not willing not just to do the talking, but a prayer that's willing to listen and to understand. A prayer that holds both parties in the arms of God so that justice becomes transform, transformational and permanent. It is the creation of a beloved community, a new way of being in relationship with others. And yes, it will be a wrestling. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, there will be loss. Yes, there will be wounds. And we will come up limping. But in the end, there is a seeing God face to face. There is a system built on the dignity of all people as images of God. There's a transformation by the very power of love that we believe this God created the world within. So let's pray together. God, I pray. I pray that you would give us the freedom and the grace to wrestle. To quit trying to control every situation. Quit trying to quit putting up the perfect image of ourselves. Quit trying just to say the right thing at the right time. But to fail. To wrestle. To expose our weakness, our strengths, to engage in relationship that will experience conflict, to engage in a relationship with you in which we can honestly express our frustrations, our doubts, and the scary moments of our own life, so that when we see each other face to face, we see the face of reconciliation. We see the face of God. We see the face of freedom. And so as Christ came into this world, as Christ came face to face with the powers that be, as Christ came face to face with the cross, in a deep wrestling with God, with systems, with friends, and probably with himself, he continued and entered through it. And the fruit of this wrestling is resurrection. And we long to taste it. We long to be, build a world from that place. Teach us to, rest, to wrestle.